Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special interview for the Art of Money community. And today I have the honor of interviewing Susan Bradley. And I'm going to read her bio and then we'll say hello and welcome to her. So Susan is the founder of the Sudden Money Institute. It began 18 years ago as a community of financial planners seeking to better serve their financial planning clients by developing processes and tools for the personal side of money and for clients going through big transitions. This think tank created the Certified Financial Transitionist designation and a division for training and certification called the Financial Transitionist Institute. Susan has been on a lot of media, which you can see all over her site. And I want to bring your attention to that she has a book also called Sudden Money, Managing a Financial Windfall which was published in 2000 and a TED talk that's called change launches you into the next great chapter of your life, whether you like it or not. And Susan and I met around 2014, which was a long time ago. And we met at a very small think tank of financial planners. There are a few therapists, a few financial therapists. That's when I was, I was just beginning my work. It was called Nesrudin, and it was in Estes Park, Colorado, and that was the very first time I met Susan. And so, Susan, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Barry. It's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Yes, I've been, as I mentioned earlier, I've been wanting to interview you for years and years and years on your work you. and your specialty. Yeah, so it was just finally time to reach out. So... Let's talk about this concept of sudden money and how it happens, you know, the different events that lead to it. I, I am going to read one more description of the book and then we'll dive into, dive into this. So it's actually, I want to back up for a second. I haven't even asked you to please share a little snapshot of your life right now. I, I, that's always important to me. So let's begin there. Whatever feels important to you about life, family, where you live, your work. Let's start. Well, thank you. 
Well, this is uh, August of COVID. Um, and uh, I work out of my home in Florida and I'm in the West Palm area. And I work with the clients that I serve are financial planners and they span the globe. We're in five continents. So we have really interesting cultural conversations as well as uh, the fact that we're all focused on helping clients move through these major life events and now of course helping ourselves move through this it's it's uncertain times and it's full of opportunity and and some challenges and on a personal note i was scheduled to be married actually actually a few days ago we were getting married uh, uh in cape cod and a big house on the ocean with I have come from a giant family with uh, all the family, his and mine. He's Oklahoma. I'm here. And uh, we, of course, had to cancel that. And my family would not, they don't know social distancing. So we just, <laughs> we don't gather during this time period. So, you know, upheaval on lots of different levels, nothing that we can handle. But it's a very interesting time to not just be alive, but to be conscious uh, and aware of of all the energy that's moving around right now. Well, congratulations on <laughs> about to be getting married <laughs> again. Is, it, is this first? Yes, episode? this would be my second. Yes, yes. Your second and later yes. life and yeah, yeah. Finding someone you know to, that you love that you want to live your life. Yes, actually, someone from Nazruddin. Oh, oh. <laughs> so we've known each other for 15 years, but oh. you, you know, that doesn't mean you fit the same way, you know? Um, so life is, life is infinitely interesting. I was going to ask how you met. So there you go. Through this really small group of financial planners that have been at the forefront of financial planning, you know, for years, wanting to bring values and life planning and deeper meaning to the work so that, yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, we've studied the psychology and spirituality of money now for 27 years, and we our first meeting was in Estes Park. And you were the first group to bring in therapists yeah. to your financial planner meetings. Yeah. You, were, you were the first crew of folks that realized um, that would be really helpful, and then a lot of you went and got your master's in counseling as well as your your certified financial planner, not all, but some some of you. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Some are really drawn to that side, okay. and it's they've blossomed there. It's great. Wonderful. Okay. Hmm, good. I'm glad I I paused for a moment and slowed down <laughs> for a moment. And remembered. It's so important. Thank you. Always, yeah, to hear on a personal level where you're at. So here's a little description of your book. So for some, this welcome event of receiving a windfall is relatively stress-free. But for those who are inexperienced and dealing with large sums of money, a windfall can be an overwhelming, even a losing situation. What is the difference between those who build on their financial gains and those who end up worse than before? In her book, Set in Money, Susan examines the emotional complexity of the windfall experience and how to manage it and your newfound money successfully. Whatever the sum involved, 
The impact of one's emotional state on the way money is handled or mishandled cannot be underestimated. In addition to the legal intricacies of receiving sudden money, the element of surprise that catches people's unprepared also often leaves them there. Here at last is a type of owner's manual to sudden money that demystifies the process for recipients and their financial planners. Based on her work with countless clients, many of whose stories appear in the book, Bradley has developed a step-by-step -step program for moving safely through the three phases of building a solid financial foundation. So you wrote, this book came out in 2000. Yes, it's 20 years. Yeah. And, Have you, and the Institute started 20 years ago too. It's, a, it's an interesting time in 2020 to be celebrating that. Say more about that. Say anything you want to say, you know, of how you began the work, what's different now. Well, the, the work was, and the, the title implies windfall, uh, something uh, unexpected. And the subtlety is, is that even expected events have a suddenness to them because they, they throw us human beings into a state of disruption and change before we sort of right the ship, put the pieces of the puzzle back together. Um, and then there's another phase to that of adaptation and adjustment. So it's, it's much more complex than I understood back then. Um, I, I really didn't see myself as an expert, Barry. I just felt that I, I needed to be trained in this because I was practicing as a financial planner and I couldn't find any training. And I had found a very disturbing situation with women that were receiving uh, legal settlements from breast implant complications from Dow Chemical. Mm. And um, the lead lawyer on a group of those women, 300 some women, was bragging about how he was changing their lives with this money. And everything he said was setting off alarms because he was saying they were buying houses that they could pay off when the money came in. They were quitting jobs because they could be self-sufficient. They were getting divorced because they could be self-sufficient. And he clearly was not thinking the amounts were 150 on the low, 1,000 on the low end, and maybe a little over a million. And the women were probably in their average age, wild guess here, probably in their 30s. And that is not enough money to support you for the rest of your life or pay off large mortgages and all of that. So as a financial planner, I had this immediate crisis come to mind of 300 women being in financial trouble as a result of the lawsuit, not financial freedom. Mm -hmm. And um, Dow went <clears throat> into bankruptcy just after I negotiated to write a white paper, woman to woman for the firm. Um, that was my only approach to it, thinking someone could train me or I could learn about these things because it, it wasn't a normal thing that a financial planner would have encountered in those days back in the mid-90s. I think it was May of 95 when Dow declared bankruptcy because of the lawsuits, which then meant that the women, in my mind, 
were probably going to be declaring bankruptcy because they were so far out on the limb. Probably not all of them, but the stories that he was telling. So when I when they called me to say uh, the deal to write the the white paper was off, I said, "Oh my gosh, these women—they're going to go into bankruptcy." And he said to me, "Oh, don't worry about that. We handle bankruptcy." <laughs> And that was just absolutely not okay for me. That changed my life right there in that, um, that statement. But nobody knew how to do this. When I researched it, um, the only real research on that topic was a company that sold annuities to people that had legal settlements. And that obviously wasn't a credible source for what I was looking for. So that was the door that I entered, and I had no idea that I was walking into such a complex, uh, important, fascinating space. But that's how I entered it, is through that door of legal settlements. And then I found the similarities um, all over the place. And still so, there was no process. Yes, will you talk about those, the different scenarios? So there's legal so settlement, there's divorce, inheritance, you, you tell me. Yeah, so sometimes it's, it's lottery. I mean, people, when they see the book, it was interesting. Um, the title's provocative. Um, so the title has, um, it's in, we would get calls um, from lottery winners. Mm -hmm. We would get calls from people that were speculating on investments. I remember one group was speculating on the Iraqi currency differential, and there was a massive number of people speculating on that. Um, I would get a calls from people who were selling a business, retiring, inheriting, divorce, etc. And I was seeing it in my practice, Barry. I was a full-time uh, financial planner. I was very much in the financial literacy space and something I called women, meaning, and money. So I was already working on the personal side, but I didn't have, we weren't trained in that back then. We were kind of making it up as we went along, filling holes and gaps as we found them. It was a new profession, still kind of is. Um, but I found that it isn't the event or the amount, it is the human experience. And a few people, some small percentage, I think are pretty well suited to take these kinds of events in a very uh, high level, high consciousness way where they step back, they absorb, they wait for clarity, they respond, they don't react, and they navigated on their own <clears throat> choice by choice. There's an old saying, choice by choice, we spin life's straw into gold. I think that's Christina Baldwin who said that. And some people really can do that, but the vast majority are not like that. Uh, it throws us into <clears throat> a classic transition in the same way the ancients wrote about transitions, transition stories go back 4,000 years. Yes. And, you know, they, it all, it has those, those stages or phases or steps that depends upon how you look at it. Um, but in financial planning, we didn't have that 
it considered. We had money considerations, life goals, you know, kind of a little bit about the client, and it was a linear process. And when we tried to reach out to the therapy world, uh, over and over again, we would hear, we don't deal with that. Hmm. I remember an inheritor, uh, she was very surprised to receive, she inherited $4 million. Her, she was a nurse, her husband was um, a policeman. And um, they lived the lifestyle that you would expect with that. And they had kids. And they were not a financial mess or anything, but they struggled to try and make everything work in their lives, like many families do. And when her father, who wasn't the kindest, most loving person, but still part of her life, um, passed, she was invited into a trust company and sat down at, as she says, a big mahogany table with all these people around. And she had no idea why she was there. And they told her that she had received this money and she would now be uh, a client of that firm. And she said she just about, her term was stroked out right there. Her husband was a detective at the time. And he said in the middle of the meeting, I got a bus to do. I, I got to get out of here. He had some drug bus. So he couldn't relate to it at all. And you couldn't handle the emotions or what was happening. Yeah, just the new news. Like, how did this happen? Why didn't he tell me before? What do we do with this? Does this mean we're really rich? What does it mean to my kids? All of that floods in and you can't even articulate it. I've heard a version of that story over and over and over. Yeah. You know, yeah, that yeah. Had no idea their parent or father was very frugal. Um, it, it, so many stories. And then one day in their 30s or four, late 40s, all of a sudden, their parent passes and then they find out. And, and, the, um, and the advice is horrendous. I remember one was sitting with an attorney. Actually, he was he was an attorney. He was a patent attorney. And, and, he, um, and he had received a, a windfall like this with his sister. And they were sitting at the state planning attorney's office listening to this, and it was considerably more. And these are two professional people. And they just kind of, as a knee jerk, said, God, what do we do with that money? And the attorney settling the estate said, spend it. Mm. <laughs> and in the other one with a woman who is a nurse, she uh, hired a therapist to help her figure it out. And the therapist could talk about family issues, but could never talk about money. Yep. When yep. she said, you know, um, I really don't understand this. My husband is, feels, you know, um, really uncomfortable, thinks it would, whatever the marriage and all, by the way, they're fine. Um, and the, the therapist would always say, you know, you better find somebody to talk to about that. It's the and biggest it's in our training. Yeah, it was why when my school loan came due, I realized, wait a second, we never talked about money in my master's yeah. degree. This is insane. Can we go back a moment to what you said is you called the transition and then you said there, there are transition stories and I thought of the word threshold. I thought of this word liminal, mm -hmm. right? I know that was that's all part of the research of, Mm -hmm. of this space that opens up yeah. Um, when there's a sudden change. And it's reminding me of when someone dies suddenly versus when you have time to say goodbye and the difference of 
of course, it depends on the person and the scenario and how you feel and all that. Um, you know, recently I, I said goodbye to my eldest cat and I was with her last week at two in the morning oh, when she took her last breath and she told me, you know, she, she told me very clearly it was time. And I knew for, I've known for a few months, I've known for a few years, right? Whereas five years ago, we lost another cat suddenly and it was, and it, and it was so different in my body or even with humans, of course, the same thing. So mm -hmm. when it's a surprise, is this the key factor? Um, or, cause I also know people who say money's coming and I'm terrified where on first thought you would think money's coming, <laughs> you know, it doesn't everyone. And I know this is not true. Doesn't everyone want that? And <laughs> Right? I know your entire work is based on that, and so is mine, that it doesn't mean there'll be no emotions, right? Or <sighs> the, you know, energy will be so big, it'll be scary, or you want to be a good steward of the money, or your family's values, or you're different than your family's values, and on and on. Will you just talk a little bit more about this? Yeah, it, it really is interesting. When I would be interviewed, uh, I was an, you know, I'm not, a, you know, a polished media person. I'm just a financial planner who needed to find a solution. So I wrote the book. Turns out it was provocative enough and people are so um, amazed and magnetized and, and the gravitational pull of money, particularly big money, is was stronger than I think, than it is now. Um, and so, you know, there were all these interviews and, and, and I'm on all these TV shows and all this stuff. And they would always end up minimizing the, the, the work or the struggles. It would always be, yes, yeah, Susan, that's right. But, you know, money is good and more is better. Or, oh, yes, yeah, Susan, you're right. But wouldn't that be a problem we'd all like to have? Yeah. It's so hard for people to wrap their head around it. And the thing is, Barry, what I learned, and I had to get over a lot of my beliefs about this, really experience taught us. And we, we study, you know, like I found this uh, body of work I had never known about called um, social anomie. Anomie, A-N-O-M-I-E. It means a place without rules. Social anomie is a social situation where the rules don't apply to you. You're a famous athlete, you're the most beautiful person in the room, you're the richest person, you know, things like that. And it's a body of work that goes back to late 18th century. Emile Durkheim, a French sociologist, wrote the book on it. But the title of the book, and the book apparently is still used in sociology classes or the body of work, and the book is titled Suicide. And when I found that, you know, you have to just stop in your tracks and say, okay, what is this? What does this mean? How does it translate to financial planners and clients and people in this day and age? And it applies perfectly. Um, and it's where the, the rules seem to change or you allow this idea that the rules seem to change when the money comes. Never heard of that. I always thought that stress equaled regress and that when people get tired and stressed out, they make bad decisions. That's true, but there's a whole other body of work around that. So as we had to study from neurology and sociology and all of this, and 
I'm not a student of those. I am curious. And so I hire people like that to be on our faculty so that we're in a learning mode. And all of that helps inform this human experience that we all have when our life is pivoting by choice or, or by circumstances. And right now, look at COVID. I mean, nobody asked for it. Here it is. Life patterns have changed. Routines have changed. Socialization have changed. Maybe some responsibilities and resources have changed. And then you still have kids trying to graduate from school. You have people like me trying to get married. You have people getting divorced. You have people dying. You have inheritances. You have the sale of the business. So, you know, just layer this stuff up and um, it's a hot mess, but it has potential if you can lean into the mess and start to see it differently. You know, reframe it. Um, I love, um, and I know almost squat about quantum physics, but I know enough to be interested. And the guy that is given credit for having uh, been the father of quantum physics or the inventor, as they say at Max Planck, has a great quote. And he says, when you change the way you see things, the things you see change. Yes. So with transitions, and it's kind of messy and confusing and challenging when it shouldn't be and easy when you think it shouldn't be, it takes longer and other people have ideas about you and the money that make no sense to you, but it seems real. So even relationships are challenged, self-esteem, identity, all of this is kind of in this rework, this big reboot. But if you see it as a natural evolutionary step for you personally, that it's your time where the norms break and you get to reassemble the pieces and add a few new ones and get rid of some that don't fit. And you get to shape that next part of your life. It's re it becomes fascinating. Mm. It becomes uh, more energizing than depleting. Doesn't mean you're not you know, caught in it at times, but it changes the dynamic and it's more, it's like it's, you have more of an ability to open your arms and try and just be in that space instead of curl up in a ball and hope it goes away. So I, I want us to talk about in a little bit about the sudden loss, right? And that yeah. some people are going through that during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to stay on sudden gain um, for a little longer. And you just hit on a lot of things of, of the emotional and psychological terrain of what, what terrain you're in. Um, when, when a transition threshold happens, you, you said that, you know, family dynamics change, relationships change, self-esteem worth is up um, for questioning. Um, identity is being questioned and challenged. And um, I, I just want to stay there for a moment because, again, you know, we can brush over this and it sounds like every time you were had a media experience, you know, a, a high majority of the time, they all thought, well, what's the matter? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> someone gets, a, you know, sudden a uh, big amount of money from an insurance payout or widow or windfall or in all sorts of different ways. Like how, how can that be bad? You know, 
um, just saying like uh, more money equals happy, right? Which we know is not true, right? Um, not all, not true to some, you know, to, to many degrees. Talk about this a little bit more of, yeah, how, yeah, what happens? And I know, I know this is a very practical thing, but I've read that you say, wait at least six months to a year before you make any big decisions. Oh, that's so squishy. Um, okay. And I probably did say that, and that's one of the things I really needed to learn is the pacing of this. Because, um, you know, we train financial planners, and they have to already be pretty successful because we ask a lot of them. Uh, we, let, we, we have a whole year of training, and we want them to do lots of writing and work along the way. It isn't just read the textbook and take the exam. There is a textbook. There is an exam. But this is experiential stuff. And not everybody would even want to do this because right now financial planners are the profession, but they're generally pretty successful, happy people. You know, they have that compassion satisfaction, I think is the psychological term where they feel like they're doing good work every day. So why would somebody take time to, to dig in to, to this kind of stuff? And one of the reasons it turns out is that there's, there's a dynamic that happens in these events, these transition events, that doesn't happen through the rest of life. They, they happen, you know, to all of us in to some degree, you know, kind of all the time. But the big events, the real pivot points, these are kind of magical times uh, that you have to stay safe and you have to stay uh, focused. Uh, but those time frames of six months or a year or two years, I have found that we have to be willing to let that belief go. Um, you can think of widows, for example. There's a lot of research on uh, widowhood, uh, a lot of in the academic world, a lot of the um, uh, probably in financial therapy. There, there's a lot of it. A lot of our faculty have been part of it. So it's, it is an event. I mean, it's a big event. The average age of a widow in America is late 50s. Um, and there is usually a major financial change. It isn't always more. It could be less. So the old rule of thumb was to wait a year before you do things. Well, over and over again, that turned out to not be true. Usually it was longer. They mm -hmm. say the second year is the worst mm -hmm. because it feels like it will never end. And that's when you're even more drained and more prone to make bad decisions. Or you're also more prone to leave your financial planner because you're not feeling heard. 70% women in divorce and widowhood tend to leave their advisor. So the second year is tough year. And widows, talking to other widows, or the, the where you really kind of learn that. But then there are other widows who uh, want to just get it all done. They've Even the ones who didn't do a lot of caregiving and were really prepared, um, some of them are just wired that way. See the job, do the job, stay out of misery. You know, what do I have to do now? What do I have to do now? What do I have to, they make decisions. Sometimes the decisions are all pretty good decisions. If they have a good advisor, someone like a, trained in transitions, 
to help them weigh the uh, pros and cons. A lot of competing goals come up. Um, so some could have it all done in six months. It's extremely rare. But if you're working with that kind of person, how annoying and tough would it be for, you, for them to always be slowed down? Right. Um, so we have to kind of figure out who they are. We have to not have too much of a bias. We have training and then we have, you know, awareness. Um, you, you can have somebody who needs to make decisions for soothing purposes and you, with skill, you can guide them to make decisions that are not uh, irrevocable. They can always back up and turn around. Two questions. One, are there certain meanings for each of these areas that you, I hate to generalize it. I, I usually don't, but with widowhood, are, are, are there women who just, they, they don't want the money. They want their spouse alive or oh, yeah. are there, I mean, I know that that's one of them, you know, but are there, are there, are there some, some themes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a real, uh, frequently, there can be a drop in um, willpower, a drop in um, ability to resist. So adult children asking for money. Um, people saying, oh, I know you got an insurance settlement. Could you help me pay off my mortgage? You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not uncommon to hear a story of a woman who, who just did it, even though they knew they'd probably regret it. They just didn't have the energy to resist. Right. Or they were so afraid of losing the relationship, they were using money to solidify that relationship you know they were the, now going to be the source yeah so yeah there's a lot of uh twists and turns some want to just crawl in a cave and hope that everything's okay when they come out of the cave if they ever come out is the way they feel um how about i go through a few of these and, and you if you can give me two or three themes for each and then we'll move on you know yeah um, so you, you just shared a little bit about widowhood and some of the themes. Um, what about inheritance? Welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Inheritance is frequently complicated with this, you know, who, who it came from and what it is. Yeah. It's one thing to manage, you, you know, between you and the person or couple, whatever trust that gave you the money. But then you have to integrate that into your relationships your uh, marital or your partner relationships. Um, you can have sibling confusion around that and uh, some missteps may break uh, sibling bonds forever. Mm -hmm. um, you can have people not understanding the amount and how money really works and making um, irrevocable, unchanging decisions, unchangeable decisions to... Um, sell a house, a business, quit a job because you're, quote, now rich because you inherited. Right. Um, and you have people who integrate beautifully and map out this next part of their life. 
Um, but usually couples have different expectations of what will happen next. Even if they sound like they're on the same page, we want to buy, you know, we want to move to the mountains and live where we ski in the wintertime, we want to live there year round. And all that sounds great, but one wants to buy quickly and big, the other one wants to be conservative and take their time and a good um, relationship with uh, people to help you guide or guide you through that can help you not get in trouble around that kind of stuff. Yes. Okay. One more divorce. Uh, yeah. That seems with that. Um, yeah. Divorce, a classic around divorce is that one or both of the partners is so beaten down by the dissolution of the relationship um, that they acquiesce. They usually, you, you frequently hear about someone who just said, whatever, just take it, just do this, just do that. And then they wake up later and say, what was I thinking? Uh, so that's a tough one. The people that specialize in divorce financial planning, certified divorce financial analysts, they're very well trained on the technical side and they can they can work with an attorney to do all the technical. Their biggest challenge is for clients to really be able to absorb what all these options mean. Um, so it's uh, you want to really increase uh, cognitive functioning at a time that's pretty high stress. Um, so yeah, that's a that can be a tough one. Okay. So here was a second question. I had a slightly different thread, but I've helped many women over the years um, move away from their family's financial advisor, planner, um, mm -hmm. because they didn't feel that the planner had the same uh, life view or values as them, or they were holding the family values um, you know, from from their heritage and lineage. And again, they just felt differently. It's it's always been um, a really challenging, uh, you know, move to make. So it sounds like your entire team are folks that, you know, work with people around their values yeah. and their life goals and these deeper transition. That's what you all do. Um, do you, yeah, any thoughts or suggestions on um, you talked about it as far as like a divorce happens and or widow when when someone becomes a widow and then they want to get a different financial planner than they had as a couple or that their spouse found originally say a little yep. bit more yeah, about that, that, that both can happen um, here's the thing if I could if I could help uh, people, but particularly women, that's, I'm kind of drawn to working with women in transition. And I used to do work, we called it Voices of Women in Transition. I loved the stories and how people work their way through it and advice they would give to other women in a similar situation. So that's my, uh, my, my real natural space to be. And what I'd like to do is prepare people to be a really great client in any relationship, be a good partner in a relationship. And that starts by understanding, or one of the things is to understand how you communicate the best. What do you need? 
How do you prepare for important conversations or meetings? Do you need to read everything? Do you need to do your homework? Do you need to get everything lined up so that you go in prepared? Or do you like to go into a meeting and absorb everything and go home and think about it? How do you like the meeting? Do you like to have a lot of information? Um, do you want it all organized? Do you want to go to the bottom line? Do you need personal connection before you get to the business part? There's a lot there. Mm -hmm. And when we train financial planners to work with people in transition, that's one of the first things they do. They say, let's figure out how to have comfortable, productive meetings. How can I help you get ready for great meetings and make your best decisions? And some, there are similarities, of course, but for someone to know that about themselves and then be able to communicate that to a professional, when you work with me, would you please remember my tendencies, blah, 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 blah. Or this works really well when you send me an agenda. Would that be okay? Can you follow this? So that's a biggie. The other is to answer the question for yourself for each time because every time these events happen uh, you know the landscape shifts so what we ask people is when we're going to start working on this transition and it'll take a long time but there's lots of things we're going to work on but while we do that what is so important in your life that we have to always pay attention and protect it what is sacred because when you make a financial decision that seems like it's way off in left field, it will eventually have an impact on your children or on your neighborhood or on your other decisions that you make. Everything's interrelated, right? Mm. So I want to know what is sacred. Mm. And wouldn't it be cool if every person you worked with understood what was sacred to you? Not just my family. What about your family? I don't think most people, if anyone, when they first think of the word financial planner or advisor, imagine that they're going to be sitting down with someone, asking them the questions that you asked, Susan, and holding the meaning and space for sacredness. You know, I, I don't think, I, I'm just reminded once again how how deep this work can be, you know. That's right. That's right. And you know, a lot of people, the, the profession of financial planning complemented and supported by, or maybe we complement each other as profession financial therapists, the general sense of the interrelatedness of um, life and money is becoming more and more understood. Yes, yes. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, like a couple of years ago, I would hear people, just general people I talked to, uh, talk about, oh, yes, I have a CFP that's a fiduciary. And I want to say, well, good for you. You know, there's about 80,000 of them. Um, what about someone who really gets you and understands what is sacred in your life? Mm -hmm. And what happens is the profession is understanding that people quote, money is moving in the direction of a personal relationship. That's all the, the talk right now is it's not about the money, it's about the relationship. I like that. 
I think that's, that's certainly huge progress you know, over the 20 years I've been doing specifically this, not just the 20 plus years earlier. Yes. So what happens though is they tend to, once you get here, as you know, it's complex. It's very involved. And as a result, they tend to step back from it. Not everybody wants to lean in. Mm-hmm. So you end up with technology, you end up with artificial intelligence, you end up with psychographics that tell you about someone without you having to really understand and be present to them and listen, deeply listen to them and connect. You get this printout that says, oh, they make decisions this way, therefore don't give them this, do them this, and you know, and you show it to a client and Now, all of a sudden, the client is trying to understand themselves through this lens. I think uh, it it is called artificial intelligence for a reason. Um, But what about that human just asking real questions? So the industry gets into, oh, ask these three questions or ask this and that. They kind of try and package it. They want to compress it. They want to make it a step in a some linear progressive process. And I don't know that humans are really cut for that. So one more clarification, and then we can talk a little bit about sudden loss before we complete. So in the book's description and, you know, on your website, there are four areas when you're coming into sudden money that you talk about. It's just one of the many ways to organize, you know, how to, how to move forward. Um, do you know which four I'm talking about or should I name them quickly? <laughs> Why don't you name them? It's okay. been a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So first, stay calm and don't make decisions based on emotions. Two, seek experienced professional advice. Three, avoid pressure from others. And four, create and execute the best financial plan for you that includes spending, saving, investing, and giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought in the beginning. First of all, all decisions have an emotional component. I was absolutely wrong to say, each, uh, you know, decisions that are not emotional. 70% of decisions are emotional, according to some yes. research. Yes. So, say that just, you now say it <laughs> yeah 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 okay be emotions there's going to be emotions they will be present right yeah so why not deal with them why not understand them yes. why not let them be there mm-hmm. um and so yes that that is true and to be calm i mean i like that but the question is is how do you establish a calm mind state and it's not going to be a consistent mind state. Uh, there's um, this uh, sort of oscillation between anxiety and calm or energy and rest that goes on. It gets intensified in these big events. And the skill is to help someone establish as much of a calm mind state, a clear cognitive mind state, when they are in meetings or in situations where they need to make decisions. And there are very simple ways to do it um, that I've learned years later from uh, Dr. Kelly Dweck or Dr. Um, um, 
what's Dweck's first name? But I can't remember. Dr. Dweck's talking about uh, the power of yet and Kelly McGonigal, the upside of stress. These are just two mm -hmm. that, you know, to learn about this, a financial planner can build the mindset reset or the power of yet into their conversation with clients that helps people calm down. Yeah. Yeah. And shouldn't that be a requirement of a financial planner is to know how to do that? You're not going to do it all the time with the best, but even to know that you could help someone like that. So a calm mind, I, I was on the right track, but oh, baby, uh, there was a lot more to, to know. And the financial plan, yes, but what I find is that for the bigger events, the real life changing events, we have to help people build a new narrative because not everything in life before fits and new things need to come in. And at all times, you want to protect what's sacred. That's a whole different structure for a financial plan than longevity per uh, projections and internal rates of return and adjusted tax uh, assumptions and all that. Those are important. But how about creating this other structure and then do planning that is that that has many ways of looking at it so people can really own and understand their plan, not just maybe develop the discipline to follow a plan that, again, more often than not comes off of software. So I love how your um, everything that I just said, you, you said yes, but I would say that really differently, you know, and this is what I've learned. Um, I loved all of that. I could go into that more, but I really want to get to the sudden loss a little bit because, you know, I've always seen your work as sudden gain, sudden money, you know, windfalls. And before I pressed play on the interview, I said, do you ever work with sudden loss? And you said, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so, and here we are in a pandemic and there's a lot of sudden loss for a lot of people at this time. So any words of wisdom? Yeah. Um, downsizing one's life is a skill set. And many people um, are invited by the pandemic and by other circumstances. It doesn't have to be a pandemic to adjust their life. And again, you want to make the adjustments to accommodate what is most sacred. So almost always when you're downsizing, you are not losing what is sacred. You are losing circumstances and structure maybe around it. Mm. So it's an opportunity to rethink it. Um, and, and downsizing is there is absolutely no shame in downsizing. Um, it's... Um, it's involving uh, people, not just money, because at the end of the day, it's connection uh, within a family, connection and community, purpose in life, things like that. That's what gives life the vibrancy. That's the reason to get up in the morning. So we, we want to not only downsize, but we want to downsize for the freedom to be with the people we want or to fulfill the purposes that we uh, have 
have decided are most meaningful in our life. So there's a purpose of downsizing, not just running out of money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. And we could probably talk so much more about the emotions, the the other side of it, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that may be a whole other conversation. I'm kind of bookmarking this because I want to honor our hour here. Um, how can people find you and work with you and your team? Are you still working with clients or do you have a whole No, okay. no, no, no. I gave that up 16 years ago oh, now. Um but uh, if they go to suddenmoney.com, they can learn more about us and the training and they can see if there's someone in their area. But, you know, it's no longer a geographical choice, is it? So many times it's just someone that syncs up. Uh, that person sounds like me. But at the same time, I welcome phone calls. So if someone wanted to call and just say they can access us through me through the, the website and just do a, uh, a request for that, or just call, I don't care. Um, I'm so interested in how all this is playing out in people's lives. That's how I learned really the depth of my work. It's not from studying, it's from being with people in real situations. Wonderful. So you're mostly, I mean, the Institute is training other financial planners. Right. And we do research. Okay. We're researching transition models across disciplines and, you know, testing out different things so that we can be useful to the financial planning profession, because we think that's a profession that is in a great moment of evolution or change. And we would like it to be evolutionary, not, not the opposite. It is. Wonderful, wonderful. And you, you're very old school in that you just told us, you told my community to call you. I, I'm so heartened by that. I know one other person who's a more old school financial planner and he says, yeah, you can call me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I just like everybody else, I live in a virtual world and, and all of that. But um, there's nothing like I prefer to see people eyeball to eyeball. Um, I, I like that connection, but I, I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation and maybe help somebody find the right person and that, that kind of thing, or just listen, people from the book would call me up and say, I'm, I have a decision free zone and I'd like to tell you about it. Great. Tell me about it. Wonderful. Um, if I can take it, I'll take it. If I can, I'm, I apologize. Right. Yeah. Susan. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. What a delight. What an honor. Um, thank well, you so sweet for of you. your body of work. And just thank you for your generosity and everything you shared here. I'm very grateful. It, it's a pleasure. I congratulate you on your work and everyone that gets drawn to it. Um, if ever I can help you, let me know. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Be well, Barry. Okay, you too. I hope Thanks. that wedding happens. <laughs> it will. It <laughs> will. All right. Thank you so right. much. Okay. Bye-bye. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, 
some inspiration or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.